Yeah, that's what I thought. Y'all heard that enough yet? You ready for it? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not even going to play it this week. I'm not even going to play it this week. Watch this. I, got, I can skip right over stuff. Look at that. Magic. Hey, we got a lot to do today. We've been doing a study in the book of Joshua. And if you've been with us, we've been in this since January the 13th. It's a long time, right? Took a few weeks off in Easter. We've been running. I'm so excited as we wrap up the book of Joshua, not just because we're finishing, but I, I've, I've been amazed. I don't know if you're like me, but how it, it, it all kind of wraps in. The, the messages of Scripture are so consistent. Uh, it's startling. And um, I've been so blessed as we've been journeying together. And today we're going to look at this um, uh, this issue of what God is doing. I want to bring up the speed if you've not been with us yet. Uh, we've been looking at the book of Joshua, and Joshua is a story of the people of God receiving their promises, receiving their inheritance. And if you've been here, you know it's been like a lot of hard-fought battles, a lot of battles inside ourselves where the questions about, are we going to be faithful to God? Are we going to believe in him for promises? Uh, stories about how he redeems his enemies. It's been striking to read through the book of Joshua. And here in the end, we've had the people entering into the promised land. But today we see a principle in Scripture that's demonstrated as, as the Israelites inherit the promised land, right? It's funny because you might be like me and you would think, well, man, the story of Joshua is about the people receiving the gift of, of, of uh, life from God, the gift of a, a place, a people to belong to. But the funny thing about it is, is that it's also the beginning of a new life in God. Uh, the people of God, you'll recall, have been on this journey looking for him, trying to please him, trying to find their place to belong. They've been slaves. You'll remember that the same people were free in Christ before. We were, we were with God in the garden before our sin. And now they're finding this new life with God as their leader and their master. Well, today we're going to talk about the issue, one of the things that we see a principle in God's promised land, and that is the principle of generosity. Um, I don't know if you guys have um, seen this at all yet. I know we actually did this here for a while. I don't know if MJ is here today. Is MJ here today? Yay, MJ. Oh, there you are. What's up? Everybody was pointing to you. It was kind of cool. Uh, it, we got this thing in the mail this week, MJ. It was really cool. Did you get these? The, we got this letter. I didn't. My wife got it. This little letter. And when we opened up, stuff fell out. And it was these little things. And it said, you've been joyed. Have you seen that yet? No. See, we must be on some special mailing list. I don't know how we got it. My wife got it. No? Yeah, why are you shaking your head at me? She's like, why are you telling the story about my mail? All right. I love it because... MJ printed out for a while these things that she put back there. If you want to bless somebody unexpectedly, you know, just give something. And you mentioned that people were doing like at a drive-thru. They'd pull up and they would buy the meal behind them, pay for mine and the one behind me. And then, when, and then you would give, MJ printed out those papers so you can give it to the person at the, and say, give this to the person when you say their bill is paid in full. And that idea is that you would share joy through your generosity, that you would spread joy. And people I know called into the radio station. They've been calling in saying, man, somebody just did something for me. This is crazy. I can't believe it. I never expected it. it was an ordinary day, and somebody blessed me with generosity. And I just wanted to call and thank you. I heard one person called the station and said, I don't even listen to your station. But someone did this and, you know, said they joyed me. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to say thank you to whoever did it. 
That's pretty cool stuff. There's this reality that we're going to see today in Scripture that this is not something that began when Joy FM came to St. Louis. It's not something that began even when Jesus came to earth. It's not something that started then. It's something that God has been doing for a long time, creating generous people. We're going to do what we always do if we enter into the book of Joshua. We're going to pray. But today I want us to look and see what God's intention is in creating generous people. So there's a lot of good stuff today. Uh, please pray with me if you would. Father God, today we thank you so much for the chance to worship you, uh, to know you more fully, to engage seriously in the conversation about what this life is about. Father, uh, the life you've given us, and I pray that today you would empower us through your Holy Spirit to understand your word. We claim no knowledge of our own. I claim no knowledge of my my own father apart from Christ and, and what you are revealing through him. And I pray that today you would do that work amongst your people. May we have open minds and open hearts, clarity of thinking, that we could know more accurately what you're doing among us and we could get on mission with you, Father, in your world. May we be part of your redemption story as you lead us into the land that you've promised to us as well. And we pray for this in, in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, go ahead and turn with me, if you would, to the, the 20th book of Joshua. Uh, no, I'm sorry, 21st book of Joshua. And it's interesting because the 21st, we're going to cover a lot of material today. It's on page 161, Joshua 21 through um, 2234. It's two full chapters of Scripture. So we're going to move kind of quickly through this, but I want to kind of point out a few things. We're not going to be able to talk through it all. I hope you've been reading it all. It's, it's profound what you can find in Scripture if you only sit and spend time reading it. Um, but I'm going to read through the first few verses here, so read with me if you would, starting in 21, verse 1. Now the family heads of the Levites approached Eleazar the priest, Joshua son of Nun, and the heads of the other tribal families of Israel. I'll remind you real quick that those are the guys that did the allocation. Remember, they were the ones that did the allocation of the land other than what Moses did. They gave out the land to all the tribes of Israel. I'll remind you also that Levites got no inheritance. They received nothing in the allocation of the promised land. Uh, check it out, verse 2. At Shiloh and Canaan, and said to them, The Lord commanded, that's Yahweh, commanded Moses that you would give us towns to live in with pasture lands for our livestock. So, as the Lord commanded, the Israelites gave the Levites the following towns and pasture lands, listen to it, out of their own inheritance. Okay? Um, I, I mentioned a few weeks ago when we were talking about the allocation of land, how God gave each person what they had coming, what he had promised. He made promises to all the people. And sometimes we read a book like Joshua and we get wore out because of the list of names. But there's some intentionality in telling us that God kept his promise to every person. And that's good news for you and me because it means he's keeping our, his promises to us. I mentioned in that, that sermon that day that, that there was this idea that the Levites were left out. The Levites were the priestly class in Israel, Right? They were the people serving God, and it, says, and it says this three times in the allocation. It said, the Levites received no inheritance except. It was three things. Do you remember what they were? Anybody? It was food. In other words, people are going to bring offerings to the temple, and you can eat the leftovers of the offering. So you're going to have sustenance. You're not going to die of starvation in this earth. The second thing God said, he'll, they'll receive no inheritance but they'll have God himself. They'll have me, right? So God says, I'm going to give you me as your inheritance, God. This is an interesting thing, right? And then the third thing is they're going to have service. 
They're going to they're gonna work. They're going to serve in the temple. That's going to be their inheritance. Actually, it also says in there they'll have towns. And someone said that to me after that sermon. They said, you know, you missed something in there, though. It says that they were going to receive towns as an inheritance. I'm like, yeah, we're going to get there in a few weeks. Interesting that they weren't included. They weren't included in it. Well, this first principle that I want us to see from these, these scriptures I've read here is that God is creating a generous people. See, we can read the book of Joshua. We could say, oh, it's all about them receiving the promised land. But read what the word says there. It says that he gave them the land, and then he immediately said to the people, okay, I've given you the land. Now give some of it away. Give some of it away. If you look in the book of Numbers, it says what he wanted them to give away, 48 cities, which is what they gave away, 48 cities of their own inheritance. There's something, to, there's something to, to, to learn, to realize from this in our own lives. So much of our time we spend wondering what we're going to get, right? Are you like that at all? A- am I getting my fair share? Am I, am I being paid enough for my job? Am I, am I making enough after taxes? Should I report this? I ran into a guy this week that said, I'm not sure I should report this to the government or not because it ain't none of their business. I made some cash here, Right? How much should I have? But the funny thing is that this leaves out the whole idea that God is giving this to us for a purpose, for a reason. And here, as soon as they receive the promised land, now I want to walk through that. These guys have fought for years to get the promised land. They've followed God for years to the desert. They were the faithful generation. They got to see it. And as soon as you get it, you're precious. What are you guys about to receive in your life? Something awesome. Maybe you got something great happening in your life. And you're about to get it. You're like, I'm going to finally have what's coming to me. God says to them, now take some of that and give it away. Why would he do that? Why would he ask that of Israel? They just got the allocation figured out, right? And now I have to give some of my land away? Verse 3 says they did it willingly. So they did, gave away the towns and pasture lands, right? Places to live. They gave it over to the Levite people as God had intended. Now, I think it's a funny thing, <clears throat> and uh, I want to say this right because it says it right in Scripture, but God will not tempt us, right? That's what the word says. If you are tempted, it's not God. I don't tempt people, but he will test us. He will. He'll test us. This is seen over and over in Scripture, the idea that he refines his people as gold to the fire. He purifies us. He's looking to us as his people. Will you be faithful? And he tests his people. Here in the promised land, as soon as they get there, the first question is, you've been given much, now will you, re- will you share anything? It happens to be about the Levites, the priestly class, but it applies to all of us. Are we generous people? Somehow, standing, and this is, I love the music today, because somehow standing in the foot of the cross, in the shadow of the great sacrifice of Jesus, the great I am, who've come to take away the sins of the world, who died willingly, sinlessly, that we could be redeemed, when you stand in that place, how can we not be generous to our brothers and sisters? How can we cling to things? It's a test. Do you know what you've received 
And do you know who's given it to you? Will you give anything away? The Merriam-Webster definition for generosity is this, to give something expecting nothing in return. To give something expecting nothing in return. I don't know. Do we do that in our life? The other thing I want you to see in God's intention with this allocation with the Levites is that he gave 48 cities. He said, I want 48 cities given away, and the Israelites were faithful, and they gave away the 48 cities. But what happened, if you look at it, is they allocated them all. Each tribe gave away part of the land. It wasn't like one tribe said, I'll give more than my share, and this other tribe said, we're not going to give anything. Everyone gave cities in their own territory. Now, I, so far I've been talking about how that's such a generous thing for the Israelites to do, isn't it? I mean, it was all their land. They had the right of refusal. But they chose to believe God. They chose to be generous. They chose to share what God had just given them. They said, here, have it. Have a city. And they each gave from their own territory. This did a couple of really cool things. One is that it allowed God's servants to be with his people. Right? I want you to think about it. If God had allocated a space to the Levites, just for the Levites, a, a, a territory, that would become like the Mecca. You know what I mean? You know what Mecca is, right? A place where all the Islamists worship. That would be like, like the Holy of Holies. It would, be like, it would be like Jerusalem, wouldn't it? It would be like this spot where all the whole, it would be like what? The Vatican. I don't know. What, what would it be like? It would be this gathering of all God's people and, I mean, all of God's servants in this little holy box, and then all the normal people would have to come and visit the Holy of Holies where all God's people live. And God says, no, my servants will live among my people. And he disperses his servants among the people. This becomes an opportunity for God's people to grow. Generosity does that to us. He, he, gives, he gives the people these cities, and they have sustenance, and they have pasture lands, but they have to live amongst the, amongst the people. If you had all the priestly class in this little box, it'd be so easy for them to go, you know, hide their sin, live a lie. But God says, no, they'll live among you. Another thing is the Levites were a gift to the people because they were men of God. Well, how do you live? Well, right here we have a city in our own, we have several, we have 13 cities in our own territory. We can see how we should live to please God. And then I don't know a lot about this, I'll just confess that, but there's this priestly rotation then into the temple service later. I don't know when it's activated, how that works, but that gets developed and so they, it's like they take turns serving in that role. You'll remember that even happens whenever uh, Jesus, when John the Baptist is born. They were serving in, the, there was his turn to serve, Zechariah's turn to serve in the temple. There's just a gift in that generosity. When you, when you read it, you say, um, uh, it's not fair to Levites, it's not fair to Israel, it's not, but it's this gift. And I think what it teaches us is that God is doing bigger things than we understand. That's what I think it teaches us overall. He's doing bigger things than we understand. So my question for you today is, first question is, what would you, listen to it, not be willing to give away for God's glory? 
What are you not willing to give up for God's glory in your life? And this could be a lot of things. We've talked explicitly today about, you know, here was allocation land. They could have said, I'm keeping all my cities. They could have said, I'm going to give them the worst cities. That wasn't the case. Some of the cities were really good cities. Some of the cities were ordinary cities. They gave them all cities. Some of these guys gave away cities to the Levites, and then their families lived in, like, towns without walls. Like, they, were, they took something less than what they gave away. But what is it that you aren't willing to give away? You know, for some of us, it's things like our money. We won't give our money away. Right? That's the normal thing we think of. How about property? Are you willing to give away the things that you own? You say, well, I, I can give stuff away if I need to, right? Do you, do, do you give it away temporarily? Do you say to people, yeah, you can borrow that? Comes back broke? It's broke. Your home. Do you, do you open your home to people? Are you willing? Will you receive a stranger or a guest or a person in need? Will you help someone in crisis, a friend or a stranger? Well, Lord, this is mine. This is my house, right? It's a question of generosity. Will you give your time to some? You know, that's one of the things these days I feel like is the, the shortest supply. That's my time. Will you give it away? But there's even a deeper level of questions here about being generous. And it's this, will you give away your love unconditionally? Right? I mean, does your love always have strings attached to it? If you please me, I will love you. If you disappoint me, I won't love you anymore. Right? Will you uh, give away your power? And you say, well, I don't have any power, but, right? I mean, probably do. Uh, you're probably someone's, uh, important to someone. You can speak into their life. You can... Here's another one. This is a hard one for me. Will you give away control? Will you give away control? Or do you have to have it your way all the time? That's a tough thing. God is making a generous people in the way he gives and asks people to give, and the intention is that it's for our blessing, it's for our benefit. That's the first thing we hear in Scripture. I want you to pick up with me, if you would, in verse 43. You can read through the middle. It's just about how they do the allocation. But in verse 43, this is what the word says. So Yahweh gave Israel all the land that he had sworn to give their forefathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. The Lord, that's Yahweh, gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn, promised to their forefathers, and not one of their enemies withstood them. Yahweh handed over their enemies to them. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Listen, every promise was fulfilled. Every promise was fulfilled. Every promise to every person God kept. And that's good news for you and for me. Well, read with me, if you will, to this next bit, this next section of Scripture. This is what the Word says. 
So then Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, listen, you have done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded, and you have obeyed me in everything I've commanded you for a long time now. To this very day, you have not deserted your brothers, but you have carried out the mission of Yahweh, your God, who gave it to you. Now, the Lord, your God, has given your brothers rest, just as he had promised Return to your homes in the land that Moses, the servant of Yahweh, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. I want to remind you, these are the two and a half tribes. These were the people that received their inheritance before Jericho fell. They, received, they were standing on their promised land. And God said, but you will continue to fight with your brothers until the entire land is given. Remember that? Anybody remember that part of the series, right? You're going to fight to the bitter end for your brothers, you're not going to say, I got mine, you go get yours, good luck with that. You don't kind of, you go all the way together. And here Joshua says, you have done your work, you've served your brothers well, now go back to the land that God has promised to you and have your rest. I mean, that's a really big deal. If you think about it, that was before the Jordan was parted. That was a long time ago in the scriptures that we've been studying that they had been faithful to their brothers and God had been faithful to all of them uh, through that act of love. So there you go. Um, so they, he said, you've, you've not deserted them and you've gone a long time. Let's see where I'm at. All right, verse five, read with me. But be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of your God, gave you to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to obey his commands, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Man, that right there is good instruction for us or anyone else. There's your marching orders in life. This is what you're called to do. Hold fast to God. Hold fast to Jesus in your life. Serve him with all of your heart and all of your soul. Listen to verse 6. Then Joshua, this great leader, blessed them and sent them away, and they went back to their homes. This is the part of the story you go, man, this couldn't get any better. They've gotten the allocation. The priests have been distributed. They have the promised land. Their enemies are defeated. They've been given all the promises, and they're going home. What could possibly, what could possibly go wrong? Well, read with me. I love the way Scripture does this. Verse 7. To the half-tribe, Moses had given the land to Bashan. The other half-tribe, Joshua, gave the land on the west side of the Jordan. When Joshua sent him home, he blessed him, saying, Return to your homes with great wealth, with large herds of livestock and silver and gold, bronze and iron, and a great quantity of clothing, and divide it with your brothers to plunder from the enemies. Here it is, verse 9. The Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh left the Israelites at Shiloh and Canaan and returned to Gilead, their own land, which they had acquired in accordance with the command of the Lord had given Moses. When they came to Gelathloth, uh, we'll just say that's what it is, okay? Um, near the Jordan, the land of Canaan, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an imposing altar there by the Jordan. So these dudes are going home, and they likely cross over the Jordan River, and they say, hold up, brothers, let's build an altar right here, okay? And they build this imposing altar right there. And verse 11, and when the Israelites heard that they had built the altar on the border of Canaan at Gileoth, near the Jordan on the Israelite side, the whole assembly of Israel gathered at Shiloh. You hear what, what the next words say? To go to war against them. 
right? I mean, are you guys still with me this morning? So they just had all this awesome stuff. They gave all this land away. They were generous. And then the brothers go home. They stop. They build an altar. And they go, let's kill them. Let's get them, right? You go, what's happening? Look, the issue is, and they say it later. Let's see where it's at. Um, yeah, verse 15, pick it up with me. They went to Gilead, the Israelites did. They went to the half-tribes, and they said to them, the whole assembly of the Lord says, how could you break faith with the God of Israel like this? How could you betray God by building this altar, right? I mean, the real altar was on the other side of the Jordan where God wanted it, and they built another one. I love this because this comes in this perfectly peaceful, God-ordained time. And I think, and this is the next principle I wanted to talk to you about. Guessing motives is a deadly game. Guessing what is motivating someone's decision is a deadly thing. It's super sketchy to do that. And the Israelites, I mean, these guys had just given their lives, literally, to help them get the promised land. And on the way home, they build an altar, and immediately Israelites, the Israel say, uh, is, the Israelites say, let's kill him because they're dishonoring God. Now, honestly, they take it seriously. They're not joking around about this worshiping God thing. You don't worship false gods. You don't build false idols. You don't bow down to other gods, and so you've screwed up. And even though you're my brothers, we're going to kill you because we know what this leads to. It's going to be bad for us, right? But they assume a wrong motive. They assume a wrong motive. And I don't know if you've done this in your own life. I've seen this. I've seen this in church world a lot. I've seen this in life a lot. Um, All the time, we see someone do something and we assume what is driving their decisions. And usually, we assume it has something to do with us or something that has to do with how we're seeing it rightly and they're seeing it wrongly. And so we immediately decide, judge, and act without thinking. And it's a dangerous, uh, dangerous thing. I don't know um, how this might look in your life if you even do it. I don't know. Do you do that stuff? Like, I think about, you know, you're, you're, you're driving somewhere, and you're trying to get there. You know, you're running late. Anybody have that problem? Anybody? I'm going to be late to my own funeral. I'm going to plan it that way, by the way. <laughs> I want to be late to my own funeral. And somebody gets in front of you. I just happened just the other day going to Troy out of, out of Highland. Somebody gets in front of me, and they're doing 44 miles an hour in a 55-mile-an-hour zone. Right? Yeah. 44. I mean, that's like 11 under. Plus, you know, you can add a couple. So it's like 15 under if you're willing to violate the law. I'm just saying, not that I am. And here's why I start to think. They're trying to make me late. They're trying to make me late. Now, what kind of psychosis does there have to be that I think this person who's a complete stranger is trying to make me late? Right? But you guys probably do it. Chris and I all the time at our home, right? Chris will say, or I will say, she's trying to make me nuts. (laughs) She tells me all the time, you're trying to drive me crazy. And I'm like, no, it's just how I am. (laughs) It's a gift. (laughs) 
And we assume, and listen, it's super dangerous because when we begin to take action on bad information, it begins to destroy our lives, especially those who love us, especially those whom we love. It's a tough thing. Assuming what is motivating someone else. Here, it's brothers in Christ, brothers that they just fought and died with. Well, check it out. I want you to see um, how they deal with this, and I love it, because they do some things, and I, I'm going to tell you what they are real quick. They do three things here in the scriptures that we read through them, and, and, it's, and it's the way to find your way through or around the screwing things up by assuming motives, and here it is. They go, they ask, and they listen, Right? They go to the person, they ask questions, and then they listen to the answers. Hear what the word says. It says, um, verse 15, then they went to Gilead. That's the Israelites. They saw this problem, and they were offended, and they assumed that there was improper motivations, but they went to Gilead anyway to have a conversation. They asked these questions. 16, how could you break faith with the God of Israel like this? How could you turn away from the Lord to build yourselves an altar in rebellion against him now? Was not the sin of Peor enough for us? Up to this very day, we've not cleansed ourselves from that sin, even though the plague fell in the community of the Lord. And now you're going to turn away from the Lord again. And they go on like that, saying, how could you betray God? How could you betray us? How could you do this? Look at verse 24 with me. No. We did it for fear that someday your descendants might say to ours, what do you have to do with Yahweh, the God of Israel? The Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you. You Reubenites and you Gadites, you have no share in the Lord's, in, the, in Yahweh. That's a remembering what they're afraid is going to be said in generations to come. So your descendants might cause ours to stop fearing God. You see, they go and they ask this question. How could you betray God like this? And when they're given a chance to answer, the, the two and a half tribes say, no, we, that was not our intention at all. What we intended to do was to put up a monument so that our people wouldn't forget that they're completely and utterly tied to your people through Yahweh. That if you want to worship, you go toward that altar and you go, continue to go over the Jordan and you worship. That's our place of worship, not here. That's our God. Not any gods here. The reality is it was purely motivated. My question for this section is this. Uh, when was the last time that you asked someone why? When was the last time you, you took that courageous step, and it's huge, to go to someone that you're struggling with, and maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a, a coworker, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a friend, when was the last time you went to him and you said, why are you doing those things? Why do you think this is true of me? Why? What's motivating you? Because there's a lot of screwed up things and making assumptions. And the reality is our job is to be generous and to trust that people are, are, are motivated for a reason. They aren't out to get you. They aren't just trying to mess with you. And there's a reality of their own motivations. 
When was the last time you had that courageous conversation? That one question, I'm convinced, could resolve so many issues for husbands and wives and children and bosses. Here's another one. How about believers? People who believe the gospel. When was the last time you asked someone why? Why do you believe that? It's just as powerful to ask a non-believer why they don't believe that. Well, I don't need to ask them because they're wrong. Really? There's a good reason they think the way they do. There's something. It's a generous thing to have an honest conversation about people, or with people, I mean, and to understand why they're motivated to be the way they are. And then the last principle that we're going to pull from this section of Scripture is this. Revealing truth always glorifies God. I mean, that, that why conversation, when answered honestly, when asked with a genuine spirit, always glorifies God. It's a beautiful thing. It's how he intended his people to communicate. The reality is that when someone asks a question, we need to have an answer for him. I'm going to read through a few more verses here. Let's see, 24. I'm going to pick it up in 26. Um, that's why we said, let us get ready and build an altar, not for burnt offerings or sacrifices, but on the contrary, it is to be a witness between us and you and the generations that come after us that we will worship Yahweh at his sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifice, and fellowship offerings. And then in the future, our descendants will not be able to say to ours, yours will not be said to ours, we have no share with the Lord Yahweh, right? That becomes an issue later on for Israel as well, by the way. Um, so there's this reality that you have to uh, know your own motivations, right? Be, be able to answer a question honestly, but honestly know your own why, why am I doing that? Sometimes when people ask you that question, why? That's a hard question to answer, but you, you owe that to one another to be honest. Read with me the last verse here, verse 31. And Phineas, son of Eleazar, the priest, said the Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. Now that's the dudes who went and checked it out. They went to ask the questions. And this was their response when they heard the answer that was given. This is what they said. Today we know that Yahweh is with us because you have not acted unfaithfully toward the Lord in this matter. Now you have rescued the Israelites from the Lord's hand. That's a powerful statement. They're saying that today because you gave us the truth, we know that God is with us. We know that God is with us. I'll remind you that um, Jesus taught the same principle. He said, speaking the truth in love, right? Our job is to speak the truth in love. That's what he always did in his own life. And God is honored when we do that. So my final question for you today is this. Are you willing to admit the truth even when it's hard? See, in this case with the Israelites, they could clearly say we had done nothing wrong. We were completely pure. But I don't know if you're like me, but for me, when people come and they ask a question, I have to tell the truth, there's usually hard stuff in it. There's usually things where I have to say, you know, oh, I wasn't purely motivated in that. I didn't, I didn't do that right. And the question is, are you and I willing to admit the truth even whenever it's hard? You 
you, you might think, well, what does that have to do with generosity? I think that these are gifts that we can give to each other. I hope gifts that we can give more each day to each other. It might take a little more time. It'll definitely be harder. Um, but I pray that it would be a, um, a new way forward for all of us. I want you to, we're going to do something different as we wrap up today. Um, I heard something, and I, I wanted to share it with you. I, don't, I wouldn't normally do something like this, and it's going to be a little different. I'm going to warn you right now. It's about five minutes. But I want you to listen. I believe that we follow a God who challenges our thinking at every turn. And I heard this, and I really wanted you to, I wanted you, I had the video, I wanted you to hear it with me, so um, listen to this story. And on the show today, Turning Points, imagine living two totally different lives over the course of one single lifespan, a life before and a life after. Well, for Rick Elias, the turning point happened in a flash. It was January 15th, 2009. He was on U.S. Airways Flight 1549 and the plane was headed right into the Hudson River. Here's his TED Talk. Imagine the big explosion as you climb through 3,000 feet. Imagine a plane full of smoke. Imagine an engine going clack, 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 clack. Well, I had a unique seat that day. I was sitting in 1D. I was the only one who could talk to the flight attendants. So I looked at them right away, and they said, no problem, we probably hit some birds. The pilot had already turned the plane around, and we weren't that far. You could see Manhattan. Two minutes later, three things happen at the same time. The pilot lines up the plane with the Hudson River. It's usually not the route. He turns off the engines. Now imagine being on a plane with no sound. And then he says three words, as unemotional three words as I've ever heard. He says, brace for impact. I didn't have to talk to the flight attendant anymore. <laughs> I could see in her eyes. It was terror. Life was over. And I want to share with you three things I learned about myself that day. I learned that it all changes in an instant. We have this bucket list, we have these things we want to do in life, and I thought about all the people I wanted to reach out that I didn't, all the fences I wanted to mend, all the experiences I wanted to have and I never did. As I thought about that, later on I came up with a saying, which is, I collect bad wines. Because if the wine is ready and the person is there, I'm opening it. I no longer want to postpone anything in life. And that urgency, that purpose has really changed my life. The second thing I learned that day, and this is as we um, clear the George Washington Bridge, which was by not a lot. <laughs> I thought about, wow, I really feel one real regret. I've lived a good life in my own humanity and mistakes. I've tried to get better at everything I've tried. But in my humanity, I also allow my ego to get in. And I regretted the time I wasted 
in things that did not matter with people that matter. And I thought about my relationship with my wife, with my friends, with people. And after, as I reflected on that, I decided to eliminate negative energy from my life. It's not perfect. It's a lot better. I've not had a fight with my wife in two years. It feels great. I'm no longer trying to be right. I choose to be happy. The third thing I learned, and this is as your mental clock starts going 15, 14, 13, you can see the water coming. I'm saying, please blow up. Right? I don't want this thing to break in 20 pieces like you've seen in those documentaries. And as we're coming down, I had a sense of, wow, dying is not scary. It's almost like we've been preparing for it our whole lives. But it was very sad. I didn't want to go. I love my life. And that sadness really framed in one thought, which is, I only wish for one thing. I only wish I could see my kids grow up. About a month later, I was in a performance by my daughter, first grader, not much artistic talent, <laughs> yet. And I'm bawling, I'm crying like a little kid. And it made all the sense in the world to me. I realized at that point, by connecting those two dots, that the only thing that matters in my life is being a great dad. Above all, above all, the only goal I have in life is to be a good dad. I was given the gift of a miracle of not dying that day. I was given another gift, which was to be able to see into the future and come back and live differently. I challenge you guys that are flying today, imagine the same thing happens on your plane, and please don't. But imagine, and how would you change? What would you get done that you're waiting to get done because you think you'll be here forever? How would you change your relationships and the negative energy in them? And more than anything, are you being the best parent you can? Thank you. Break a life. Uh, or maybe a different thing to share. But I loved the epiphany of it all, right? The realization of this life we have. I was telling some brothers this morning, I feel like the closer I get to Jesus, the more overwhelmed I get with life. For the good and for the bad. There are times that I feel like there's so much wrong in the world, who can possibly save it? And there are times that I feel like life is so beautiful. How could I ever deserve it? How could I ever live it? The idea, I hope, uh, that's being communicated today is that we've been given so much in this life. And the question is, can we be generous to one another as we spend it together? Can we just do that? I had some scripture. I'm not going to share the first one with you. It's rather long. Paul saying he, gained, he counts everything refuse. But the second is this, and I think it's poignant. Jesus himself in the Gospel of John said, and this is how you'll, they will know that you are my disciples because you love each other. Because you love each other. And I hope that... Uh, in the light of the cross, in the light of God's great sacrifice to forgive all of our sins, we can learn 
today that that's our call. Please pray with me if you would. Father, today I give you thanks and praise for the chance we've had to hear the history of you you, uh, interacting with your people. I thank you for their witness to us and their great generosity, Father, honestly, more than I could have imagined doing, and they did. And uh, I give you praise and glory for your work among them. I thank you for my brothers and sisters that are here today that are journeying uh, together and trying to be graceful and loving in this life that sometimes seems so hard. And Lord, today, uh, I feel that burden for uh, times we've sinned against our brothers and sisters, times we've thought the worst, times we've assumed things to not be true, that are not true. And uh, I ask for forgiveness for that today. I pray you would cause us to be courageous people and to speak truth, to seek truth, to hear truth, and to love it, to love you. And uh, Father, I I confess that we can't do that without you, and so today I'm gonna ask that you would gracefully, gently, and in your great power, you would continue to redeem us in this way. Continue to make us people that are after you, that look like you, that act like you, because this life is passing and greater things are coming. May you be glorified as your people worship, believe, and serve. In Jesus' name, amen.